Well, we're in a series in Hebrews called Greater Than, and what we're seeing as we work our way through this series, which is what that, that symbol up there is for, is, is, is we're seeing that Jesus is greater than. He's greater than all of, our, all of our failures, all of our successes, all of our fears, all of our doubts, all of our ups and all of our downs, that Jesus is greater than. And also, as we've talked about this book of Hebrews, we've talked about how this letter is different than any other letter in the New Testament because most of those books, most of those letters are written from someone to someone. And so that's why a lot of them start off with like greetings and salutations and they end with blessings. And, but this one is different. It just jumps right in. And the reason it does that is because this is a sermon that was preached. It's not a letter that was written. Now, what we don't know is we don't know who preached this sermon. A lot of people think Paul might have, but we don't know. We don't even know who wrote this sermon. As he preached it, did the preacher write it down? Is this his manuscript that we're looking at or is somebody in the congregation writing it down? We don't know, but what we do know is who it was preached to. And we know that it was preached to a congregation made up mostly of Hebrews, which is why it's called Hebrews. And because of that, because this congregation was mostly people that grew up in the nation of Israel, there are certain things that they know that we don't, and there's certain assumptions that this pastor makes that they'll know. That's why sometimes reading through the book of Hebrews is a little confusing, because we weren't raised in a Jewish nation. We weren't raised, hello lights, we weren't raised, um, thank you, Heather, um, we weren't raised uh, in the nation of Israel. And today's going to be one of those messages where a little explanation is required, because the preacher assumes his congregation knows some stuff. And so we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to do uh, the end of the chapter. We're going to be in verses 7 through 19. Um, if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. And if you use that Bible, it's on page 843. Or like I said, you can go into the Bible app on your phone, um, click on events, click on Fellowship Asheville, and the scripture's there for you. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of a part of your Bible uh, that this preacher is assuming you would know. And it's, and it's just, it, what I'm going to do is kind of take you from Exodus all the way through Numbers, through, through a chunk of the, of the Old Testament, the first few books of the Bible. You've heard of Moses. We talked a lot about Moses last week. If, if, if um, you've been around for a while and on Easter, they show the Ten Commandments, so you know Moses, 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 as, uh, as Cleopatra calls him or whoever that is in that movie. I don't know why they show the Ten Commandments at Easter anyway, but they do. So you're familiar with Moses, and you know his story that, that um, when he was born, the, the nation of Israel was, un, was in Egypt, and they were slaves for Egypt, and it wasn't a good time for the nation of Israel. And so what his mother did is put him in a basket and put him in the river and, and kind of left him to God's providence so that he could have a better life than what she and their family could provide for him uh, with the circumstances they were under. And, and as you know, where that basket ended up was the daughter of the Pharaoh found him and pulled him out of the, the river. That's what Moses means. And he was raised in the Pharaoh's palace as a child of the Pharaoh's daughter. But he grew up in the palace, and long story short here, he killed an Egyptian. And he did it to show his allegiance with the nation of Israel. And, and what that started was this series of events where he left the nation of Israel and ran into the desert uh, for safety and, and, and ran into hiding. Well, as we all know, 
um, you can't really hide from God. And God met him in the desert in the form of a burning bush. And what God told Moses was to go back to Egypt. And that God was going to use Moses to deliver the nation of Israel from the slavery of Egypt. So he goes back to Egypt and 10 plagues later and lots of miracles, the nation of Israel is released from bondage from Egypt. And so as they're leaving Egypt, they start heading for this place called the Promised Land. Now insert a little parting of the Red Sea and they're on their way to this Promised Land. And this Promised Land was a promise that wasn't actually given to Moses. It was given to someone before Moses called Abraham. And God told Abraham that he was going to give the nation of Israel a land, hence the promised land. So this nation, as they left Egypt, were heading toward this promised land, and they got all the way there. And they're standing on the, on the edge of a river, <clears throat> excuse me, looking into the promised land, and they can see it across the river. And what God does is he speaks to Moses, and he tells Moses, I want you to send some spies into the land to check it out and kind of get the lay of the land. And so Moses picks a a man from every tribe of the nation of Israel and they head into the promised land and they're gone for 40 days. For 40 days, these spies are checking the land out and they come back. And when they come back 40 days later, they've got good news and they've got bad news. The good news is that the land, the promised land that God has given the nation of Israel is, is what they call flowing with milk and honey, meaning it is a very fertile land. Like it is a place, if you're gonna plant a nation, you wanna plant it there because there's water, there's fresh water, there's, there's places to, to, to let the animals go to pasture, there's fertile soil to grow stuff. As a matter of fact, what these spies do just to show how fertile the ground is, is they come back with this, this vine with grapes on it that's so heavy, they have to have men carry it between poles to get it back to the nation of Israel so that when they arrive People can see how amazing this land is. That's the good news. The bad news is that this land also has people in it. And these spies say, listen, they're not just people. They are warriors. They even say they are giants. They're so big. And in that moment, something happens. In that moment, there's this choice between fear and faith. And what happens is these spies that were in the land, they choose fear. They choose fear. And and what happens is that fear does what fear does best, and it spreads like wildfire. And these spies said, we can't go into this land. These people are too big for us. These people are too fierce for us. We can't do this. And they chose fear. And when they chose fear, the nation chose fear. But there were two spies who didn't, Joshua and Caleb. And they believed that God would do what only God can do. And if they took a step into the river and if they stepped into that promised land, what would happen is that they would experience God doing what only he could do. And somehow God would give them the land that he was promised to give them. That's what Joshua and Caleb said. Well, the nation of Israel chose to believe the other spies. Because you see, the people of Israel had this choice between fear and faith. 
They could live by fear. They could live by faith. They could let fear take root and spread, or they could let faith take root and grow. They could let this apparent evidence overrule God's voice, or they could believe what God had said. Well, like I said, they chose fear. And what happened is they began to complain. They began to complain about Moses and his leadership. They even suggested, why don't we just vote another leader in? Why don't we vote one of our people in so that he can lead us back to Egypt? Which is crazy if you think about it. They wanted to go back to the place of their slavery. And their reasoning was, when we were there, we had onions and garlic. But they were still slaves. Well, that story is just the beginning of that 40 years of wandering in the desert. desert because what happens when they, when they start making a, a, a plea to, to vote somebody else into leadership, God intervened in a way Uh, And not a good way either, a way that honestly, theologically, sometimes I have a hard time understanding and have a hard time grappling with. Because what God did is he saw their fear for what it actually was. He saw their fear as as being a hardened heart, as being a rejection of his provision. Remember, they just saw God bring 10 plagues down on Egypt. They just walked through a sea that was parted for them. And what's crazy is when you read that story, not only did God part the Red Sea, but somehow the ground that they walked on was dry. So they didn't walk through mud to get to the other side. God took care of everything. And so he saw what was really happening. He saw their hardened heart as being a rejection of his provision. And what he did next is shocking because he told Moses that the nation of Israel is still going to go into the promised land, just not these people. That he can't allow fear to enter into the land of promise, only faith. And so what he said is he said, every one of you who chose fear over faith are going to have to die off. So that only those who know me and trust me can enter the promised land. And what happened is that started the 40 years of wandering. And in that 40 years, that generation that chose fear over faith died. And this sets us up for what we're going to see today in Hebrews. Because in this passage, what we're going to see is we're going to see how Jesus is greater than any disobedience. See, here's what I know to be true because it's true in my heart and I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain it's probably true in yours, true, yours too, that in all of our lives, there are places that we have done just like these spies have done. In all of our lives, there are places where even despite the clear evidence that God loves us and has this incredible plan for us and he will provide and he is faithful, we too have chosen fear over faith in some area of our life. We too have known what God has wanted us to do or what God has not wanted us to do and done the opposite because we've let fear rule in our hearts. Well, today, maybe you've been walking in the desert just like the nation of Israel did for too long. And today, I hope, is the day that you believe that God is who he says he is and he's gonna do what he said he's gonna do. And just like this nation of Israel finally got to enter the promised land, I pray that today will be your day to do that. That today is the day that maybe you deal with current disobedience or past disobedience. 
Well, let's look at our passage today because what this preacher is going to do is he's going to actually quote a psalm, Psalm 95, that looks back to that 40 years of wandering and looks back to that incident that I told you about as they stood on the river and listened to the spies and chose fear over faith. That's going to be the, the context for what is happening here in Hebrews. So let's look at verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. And so what this preacher is doing is he's calling to mind to this congregation, this Hebrew congregation, this, this act of disobedience committed by the nation of Israel when they stood on the edge of the promised land and they looked across the river into it. And what's interesting is that the psalmist who wrote this doesn't call this disobedience. Do you notice the word that he used? He calls it rebellion. Because the psalmist understood what they were actually doing was just not, they weren't politely saying, no, thank you, God. What they were doing is they were actually trying to usurp God's authority. And in saying no to God, they were actually saying, actually, we've got a much better plan than you do, God. Thanks for trying. And the psalmist calls that rebellion. Because the psalmist goes on to describe the heart of the nation even during this time of wandering. Look at verse 9. Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. And so now he's talking about that 40 years of wandering. And he said, as the nation wandered for 40 years, they still saw God work for them over and over and over again. Y'all, they had food for themselves every morning when they woke up in the form of manna. Every morning, except on the Sabbath day, there was food out on the ground. All they had to do is step out of their tent, scoop it up off the ground, make bread, and eat it. And it was the food for their sustenance. And the day before the Sabbath, there was a double amount ready so they wouldn't have to collect it on the Sabbath. God provided for them. He even made their clothes and shoes not wear out for 40 years. Y'all, I was in a fraternity not 40 years ago, but close to it. And I still have one of my fraternity uh, sweatshirts. It's up in the closet in the top corner. It fits differently than it did 40 years ago or 30 years ago, but it's not worn out. The reason it's not worn out is because I don't wear that joker, right? They wore the same clothes and the same shoes for 40 years, and God miraculously allowed them to not wear out. Not only did they have food, not only did their clothes not wear out, he provided water from rocks for them. Everything that they needed, God provided. Miracle after miracle. And he did this to show them that he can be trusted. That he still had this covenant relationship with them where he was providing for them and, and loving them and taking care of them, even though their hearts were hard toward him. And look at what it produced in verse 10. It says, therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. See, in all these miracles that they saw, this nation of Israel still didn't know God. And, and, and the word for know that the psalmist used here and, and, and the preacher translated it into Greek and used the same word, it isn't the word to know someone like as an acquaintance, like, hey, how are you doing? It is the word that means when a, when a married couple comes together and they develop their sex life, and it is this life of intimacy and it is this life of vulnerability, that's what this word is, no. And he's saying he has provided miracle over miracle over miracle, and yet they haven't let that wall down to trust him, to be vulnerable with him. 
And y'all get this because oftentimes we think if, a, if God would just do a miracle, then I would believe, then I would obey. You see, a miracle isn't what's needed to change a disobedient heart. And, and I hear this from people over and over again because, because they would say, I would believe God if he would just give me a sign. I would obey God if he would just give me a sign. If he would just show me that I can trust him, I would do this. Now, let me tell you what miracles are designed to do. Right? If you're an unbeliever here, and, 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 and that means that, that you don't know who God is, you don't know what Jesus has done for you, you haven't said yes to the gospel, all right? So I use that term unbeliever for that. And, and if that's you, I am glad you're here. And, and, and you are here for a couple of reasons. One, a friend invited you and, and you like them, and so you're here uh, because you wanna see what they see and, and experience what they, they experience. Or maybe you have a, a, a drug problem Problem, and by that, I mean somebody drug you here. Um, and that's what, why some of you are here. No matter what reason you're here for, I'm glad that you're here. And for you, when God shows up to the unbeliever, miracles expose God's heart. When you see God do what only God can do as an unbeliever, he's showing you what kind of God that he is that he is a God that does heal the sick. He is a God that does provide. He is a God that, that cares intimately for you. But if you are a believer and you're here, which most of you are, most of you have already said yes to Jesus. If you're here, what's the role of miracle to believers? And it's this, to the believer, to the person who knows God, to the person who God has already shown you who he is, to the believer in miracles expose our heart. And we get to see what's really in our hearts. You see, those miracles are designed for the believer to show us what we really believe about God. Is he really good? And y'all, over and over, this is how I've seen this play out. That us, as believers, we know God is asking us to do something. And what we do is, is we always hold on to Gideon. We say, yeah, Gideon threw out a fleece, so I'm gonna do that. And if God does this, then I'll take that step of faith. Then I'll obey. When, when, all the, when God does this, when God shows me that I can trust him, then I will do it. But here's what I've seen over and over and over again. God will show up. God will prove that he is faithful. God will show you uh, that he is able to provide the miracle after you've taken that step of faith, not before. Because as a believer, you know God's heart. You know he is faithful. You know he will provide for you. And yet fear says maybe this is the time that he won't. But when you take that step of faith, he shows up. You see, and that's where we are with the nation of Israel. You see, what it did is it confirmed their disobedient heart. It exposed all those miracles for 40 years, just exposed the heart that was already there. You see, the Israelites didn't take that step of faith. In that moment, they chose fear over faith. And so the miracles they saw did exactly what they were designed to do, and they exposed their disobedient heart. It exposed their hard hearts. And sometimes to see God do what only he can do, you have to take the step so that God can show you what he can do. And look at the consequences when you don't. Look at what happens when you choose fear over faith. In verse 11, 
As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now this rest refers to entering the promised land. That's what this psalmist is pointing to. When they chose fear over faith as they stood there on the river and God said, you can't enter the promised land. The nation of Israel went in, but you who chose fear over faith can't enter in. This land flowing with milk and honey and they weren't able to enter into that. Their disobedience left them in the desert, literally and metaphorically for 40 years until they died there. And maybe this is where you are. Maybe, maybe there's a part of your heart that has left you in the desert with God where he's still providing for you. He's still caring for you. He's still showing you over and over and over again that he can be trusted, but yet you've let fear take root and take hope because this passage continues as this preacher is gonna move from Israel's past to his congregation's present. And then what I'm gonna do is take a little liberty as your preacher and show you how Moses' story actually ends because it may not be what you think. Look at verse 12. Um, <clears throat> this is the preacher talking to his congregation. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is a powerful plea that this preacher is making. Just like the psalmist called what happened on the riverbanks that day rebellion, this pastor is asking his congregation to do exactly what I've already asked you to, to do and take an inventory. Is there a place where fear has taken root instead of faith to grow? And if so, just like the psalmist didn't pull any punches and calls it rebellion, this preacher's not gonna pull any punches either. And he calls it this. He says, um, lest any of you have an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's what choosing fear over faith feels like. And he's taking this past rebellion in Israel's history and asking his congregation to consider their own hearts. And so for you, is there a place where fear has taken root instead of faith? Is there a place where unbelief has moved you into disobedience? If so, I'm so glad that you're here today because God has written this for you. He's written this so that you can deal with it today and you can deal with that fear today. That you can trust him and take that step of obedience because look at his solution. It's, 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 it's very interesting. In verse 13, he says, but, so in other words, if that's you, if, if fear is taking root instead of faith, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Because here's what happens. That disobedience breeds in isolation. If you've chosen fear over faith, the last place you want to be is here today. The last thing that you want to do is go to a growth group, a Bible study. The last thing you want to do is be around other believers because the longer you live in disobedience, the longer you let fear trump faith, the longer that happens, the less you want to be around God's people. And the first defense against that is being with God's people. It's being here at church. It's being in a growth group with people who know you and love you and study God's word together and, and walk through life together. Because those groups, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and listen, if you're not in one of our growth, group, growth groups, get in them. Ladies, if you haven't signed up for the women's retreat, sign up because it is a place where either intentionally or unintentionally, this happens. Look at the rest of verse 13. 
It says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called a day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I love that phrase, deceitfulness of sin, because sin is deceitful. Sin is fun for a little while. But all sin has an expiration date on it. It's only fun for a while. And when you're in with a group of believers and you're in a circle, because we always say here, we say life change happens better in circles than it does in rows. And I'm so glad that you're here today. But my heart is for you to be in a group, in a circle, because there what happens is you get to see sin for what it really is. And there's something almost magical that happens when you're with a group of other believers that you get to see sin for what it is. And it's difficult to sin regularly when you know you're gonna have other brothers and sisters look you in the eyes and say, hey, how you doing this week? No, really, how you doing this week? No, really, how you doing this week? You see, this week is how it kind of looks in my life. My wife is out of town this week, and I'm gonna be completely honest with you because another thing we say here at Fellowship is that you can be anything in this church but a liar, Right? So my wife is out of town this week. Uh, she's a travel agent, so her work trips look oddly like a trip to Disney World and a cruise. Um, so that's where she is. But when she's gone for the week, there is a temptation that creeps up that's very unique to the time when she's gone. And it's the temptation for me to watch stuff on TV, to watch stuff on cable, to watch stuff on Netflix that I wouldn't watch when she was there because maybe it shows a little more than it would when she was there. There's a temptation there for me to look at stuff on my computer that I wouldn't when she's there. Now, what I could do is I could keep that to myself, right? But I've got a circle of guys that I know and I trust and I tell them, hey, Stacy's gone, here's what I want you to pray for, and I tell them, pray for this for me. And what's great is every single time they know that that's code, that means I'm not just gonna pray for you, I'm gonna ask you at the end of the week. And so there's a level of accountability there. You see, disobedience breeds in isolation. It doesn't hurt that I know I'm gonna stand up here on Sunday morning too. That, that keeps me honest as well, right? Because the last thing I wanna do is be a hypocrite standing up in front of you. I value integrity and I value authenticity way too much for that. And so for you, if you're in a tough spot choosing between fear and faith, reach out to those in a circle. Reach out to those who are close to you. And look at verse 14. It says, For if we have come to share in Christ, and if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now this verse can get confusing because it's been taken to say, if you don't hold to your confession about Christ from the moment you say yes to Jesus until your last dying breath, then you won't get to heaven because heaven is the promised land. The nation of Israel didn't get to enter the promised land, at least those who said no. That's not what this verse means because the entirety of Scripture speaks against that. As a matter of fact, this preacher wants you to understand that you don't get kicked out of your faith because you choose fear over faith. As a matter of fact, this preacher is going to all this effort because he wants you to see clearly what the consequences are. That it's not that God leaves you. It's just that you don't get to enjoy the reward of God's promise. You don't get to enjoy the blessing of God's promise of walking in faith, both now in the real world and even the reward for a faithful life when you meet him face to face. That's what's at jeopardy. Because look at verse uh, uh, 15. 
It says, as it, is, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For, those, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? You see, notice who died in the desert. It was the nation of Israel that died in the desert. They were all still part of the nation of Israel. God didn't separate himself from them. He still provided for them. He still loved them. But what this preacher wants you to see is that there was still a consequence. Look at verse 18. It says, for to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And here he's gonna show the heart of disobedience. He said, we see that they were unable to enter because of, what's the word? Unbelief. They weren't allowed to enter because of unbelief. Their lack of belief in God's promise prevented them from entering the promised land. And so just as disobedience breeds in isolation, where it starts is unbelief. Disobedience is spawned in unbelief. It's spawned in that moment when you choose between faith and fear. That's where disobedience starts. See, every step of faith has this equal and opposite step of fear that's just as easy to take. Honestly, sometimes that step of fear is a whole lot easier to take than taking that step of faith. And every step of faith has that. See, the choice is yours. And what will you take? Will you take fear or will you take faith? Because what I've seen people do over and over again is that in fear, They allow their bodies to be used to keep a relationship going because it's easier to sleep with somebody than it is to have a real relationship. It's easier to have a pretend relationship than it is to have, by faith, this honoring God real relationship. And in fear, they'll let that happen. In fear, I've seen people hide from their spouses and use excuses like work and hobbies And they settle for this numbing existence instead of letting down walls and experiencing marriage the way God intended it to be, a place of acceptance and love and forgiveness and grace. One where prayer and faith are core to the marriage. In fear, we let excuses keep us from living out God's calling on our life. In fear, we choose a life of comfort and ease instead of a life of growth through sacrifice. But church, there is a better way. Because remember, Jesus is greater than any disobedience. See, here's the deal. I don't know what your fear is. I don't know what your step of faith is, but God does. And no matter what it is, no matter what you've let fear take root in, no matter what you've said no to God about, Jesus is greater than any disobedience. Because you see, Moses, the leader of the nation of Israel, he wasn't even allowed to enter the promised land with the nation. Because at one point in his leadership, he too let fear take root instead of letting faith grow. And it was during the wandering The nation had run out of water. There was no place for them to get water. And so God was gonna provide water and did provide water. And what he told Moses to do, he told Moses, he said, take your staff and strike the rock. 
And so what Moses did is he took the staff and he hit the rock. And you know what happened? Nothing. And he stood there. And you had to know in this moment that the whole nation's watching him. He told the whole nation, this is what God's gonna do. I'm gonna hit the rock and water's gonna come out. Y'all just trust me. And he hits the rock and nothing happens. I don't know what was going on in Moses' head and heart, but I know what it's like to be a leader and have a bunch of eyeballs staring at you, waiting to see what God's gonna do. And I, you know, he, he had this nation that he was leading, and, and during that point in his leadership, he, he was under a lot of pressure. And what he did is he responded in anger. And he took his staff, and instead of hitting it once, like God asked him to do, he took it and reared back, and he hit it again. And this time, he did it in anger. And the problem is, it worked. Water started flowing out of the rock. But God told Moses, you did just what the nation of Israel has done, and you chose fear over faith. Instead of listening to me and letting me work, you chose to do it your own way. You're not gonna be able to enter the promised land with your people. And so it said that Moses, when he died, he was up on a cliff, And he was actually overlooking the nation of Israel because remember the two guys, Joshua and Caleb, they got to enter the promised land. And Joshua led this nation through that river into the promised land. And Moses was there on this cliff watching God do what he said he was gonna do. But Moses' story doesn't end there. Fast forward to Jesus. And Jesus is with his disciples, and he takes three disciples. He takes Peter, James, and John. He says, hey, guys, I want you to come pray with me up on this mountaintop. So they go up to this mountaintop to pray, and and, and as they're praying, they notice something happens to Jesus. It's crazy. What happens is Jesus begins to glow, and his robe turns to white and, and there's this aura about him that they've never seen before. And, and it's in Luke chapter nine. And, and that part of your Bible, what it says about it is it's called the transfiguration because they got to see Jesus transfigured into what he's gonna look like when we meet him face to face in heaven. And, but Jesus wasn't alone. There were two people standing next to Jesus when the disciples looked on and saw him. There was Elijah because he represented the prophets of the Old Testament, and there was Moses, who represented the law of the Old Testament. And they got to see Jesus have this conversation with Elijah and Moses. And you have to wonder, like, what did they talk about? But here's the point. Do you know where that happened? It's right in the middle of the promised land. You see, in Jesus, Moses got to enter the promised land. You see, Jesus is greater than any disobedience. In Jesus, any fear can become faith. In Jesus, any disobedience can turn to obedience. Moses got to enter that promised land because of Jesus. And so today, if you're new to church and you're new to this Christian faith, and, and you're one of those people that, that, you know, I said unbeliever, which is kind of a churchy term, and I get that, and I hope that's not offensive to you. Um, but if that's you today, don't let any disobedience coming, don't let any disobedience keep you from coming to know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. That's our gospel, is that Jesus died to cover your disobedience. He lived a perfectly obedient life, but yet died the death of a criminal. He died the death 
of disobedience, although he lived a life of obedience, so that we who live a life of disobedience can get the benefit of his life of obedience. When you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to him taking away your disobedience. And so today, if that's you, he died so that, and was resurrected so that you can have a personal relationship with a God who loves you and made you. And your response is just to confess your own disobedience. And to confess your sin and receive God's forgiveness because it is for you. But now many of you have already done that. You've been a Christian for a while. And so for you, you too can let Jesus turn any fear into faith and bring any disobedience to him and let him turn a hard heart, an unbelieving heart, a disobedient heart into an obedient heart, into a tender heart again. Because you need this same gospel to remember that God loves you not because of you, but because of Jesus, not because of what you've done right, not because of what you've done wrong, what you've done wrong but because of what Jesus has done. And because he loves you, you can bring any disobedience to him and confess it and turn away from it. That's the word repent means to turn away from it and you can run to community. And the way you can run to community, even if you're not in a growth group, we have a prayer team of people that would love to pray for you and they're in the back and, and, and sometimes it's just good to have somebody put an arm on your shoulder and you say, this is my deal and they will pray for you. Or that prayer team takes these prayer cards and prays for them every week. And so if, if you want, you can take that prayer card and just put what your step of faith is or put what fear is holding you back and they will pray for you. You can put your name on it. You don't have to put your name on it. Jesus knows who you are and you can take that card and drop it in the offering box and they will pray for you. But what I want us to do today, church, is to be done with letting fear make our decisions for us. But instead, let faith make those decisions for us. Because if we do, there is freedom waiting for us that's available no other place. If we do, there is a lightness of life waiting for us that's available in no other place. And let me tell you, if you do, it's the kind of life change that changes families and sets entire generations on a new path. That's what faith is. Believing what God can do, what only God can do. Let's pray.